One of the things that we used to like to do when we were kids is, uh, is play Batman and Robin. Uh, my older brother's here today, but it was, was more with my younger brother that we did that. And I think it's because I wanted to be Batman, and my older brother would never allow that. So I let my younger brother be Robin. I, I was Batman. And, and you know, you could become an instant superhero. All you had to do is go to the linen closet, get a towel, a long one, and tie it around your neck, and boom, you're, you're a superhero. One of the favorite things we used to do, jump on the couch and fly through the air and uh, beat up my little brother. Uh, I wouldn't do that now, though. Well, maybe. <laughs> With the, uh, one of the other superheroes that I loved as a kid was Zorro, and the reason I liked Zorro was because he not only had a cape, he also liked to wear uh, a mask, and he also had a sword. Love that. Love the sword. And that sword, if you remember correctly... In Zorro was used both, both defensively and offensively. He could defend himself with that sword, and he could also uh, attack with that sword. Folks, that is exactly what the, what the Bible is. It is a sword. In fact, uh, the apostle Paul calls it that. Uh, look what it says here in Ephesians 6.17. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the... Say it. Word of God. Word of God. That is what the Bible is. It is a sword. In fact, in Ephesians, we're to, or in Hebrews, it's, it tells us that the, that the Word of God is, is a double-edged sword, and it's able to expose what's ever in our heart. It's a powerful thing. Now, some of you, if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that these, this verse here is part of a, a, a bigger uh, narrative. It's, it's a narrative about the full armor of God, Paul tells uh, the Ephesians, Ephesian Christians to put on the full armor of God. I'm not going to get into that, uh, into the armor of God today. You can read about that yourself, but I want to focus in on the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is, in fact, the Word of God. What I'm doing today is really what you might want to maybe call a prequel, because next week we begin a three-week series on the uh, sword, uh, uh, sword, sword of the Lord, the Word of God. Some of you know from last week that we are presently planning on trying to go through the Scripture all together. We want to all read through the Bible. I'm going to talk more about that in just a few moments. But I want you to, to recognize that we are living in a day and an age when people are pretty much illiterate when it comes to Scripture. They don't really know what's in the Bible, and the, and the Word of God really does not govern their lives. I'm, I'm, I'm actually shocked and amazed at the numbers of Christians who are totally illiterate and have no clue what the Bible says, don't have any understanding of of. of how to be informed by the scripture so that the scripture determines how we live our lives. The sword, as you know, is both defensive in nature and offensive in nature. We can defend ourselves and we can attack with it. Now, here's, here's what you need to know and why we need to read the Bible. If you are not good with your Bible, if you don't know your Bible, it leaves you vulnerable so that when Satan attacks, you, you are left defenseless. You, you may be here today feeling extremely frustrated in your Christian life because it seems you've made promises to God. You're going to change your ways. You're not going to do what you used to do. You're going you're to improve and be better. 
And you make, this, you make these vows to God and you pray those prayers and you cry those tears of sorrow and repentance. But for whatever reason, you just cannot advance. You're not growing. You're not getting moving on in your life. In fact, Satan seems to be having a, a heyday in your life. He's, he's, he's just destroying you. He's destroying your marriage, destroying your family, destroying your spirit, your mind. You're depressed. You're struggling, struggling, struggling. What's going on? Well, the fact is, is that so many of us are defenseless. We have no ability to defend ourselves against Satan's attacks. This is something that, that I have seen all the years that I've been a pastor. And it's always for the same reason. And that is, is that most of us do not have sword skills. We don't know how to use the scripture. We do not know how to defend ourselves. So some of you here today are feeling uh, worry, extreme worry, And even though Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not be worried, we're full of worry, we're full of fear, we're struggling and struggling and struggling. How on earth are you and I going to learn how to be more than conquerors through Christ if we don't learn how to use the scripture? And so in 2018, what we want to do at Cross Church is we want to try to get everybody to get a hold of a Bible and start reading it every day with the goal of getting through the Bible in 2018. We're really excited about it, and, uh, and, uh, and, and I believe that it will really uh, have a dramatic impact on our church. So we talked about being vulnerable because of a lack of, of, of sword skills, a lack of ability with the Scripture. The other problem, of course, is that Jesus has called us to go into all the world and make disciples. So not only are we... Uh, vulnerable to Satan, but we've also become useless as Christians. We're not really doing all the things that God has called us to do. We are not fulfilling the Great Commission. We're not doing what Jesus instructed us to do. And so what we need to do is we need to get back to the scripture and we need to learn how to use that Bible and use it skillfully. What I'd like to do this morning I'd like us to look into Genesis chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles here, please turn there. And can I just say this? We have gotten in the habit of not bringing our Bibles to church. We've gotten in the habit of not using Scripture. But I want to tell you, when I was growing up, everybody always brought their Bible to church so that we could check to make sure that Pastor Barber at Calvary Temple was preaching the true Word of God. And this is what we need to do. We need to be people who know how to check the scripture. And by the way, Pastor Barbara did preach the true word of God, so thank God for that. Let us look at Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to look at verses 1 to 7. And it says, and, and, and most of you, if you've read the Bible, you, you will be familiar with this. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? That's verse two, or verse one of Genesis chapter three. I want you to see something here, because this is the pattern of Satan. How many know that Satan is called the deceiver? He is the, Jesus called him the father of lies. And the first thing that Satan wants you to do is he wants you to doubt God's word. He wants you to doubt the scripture. He wants you to doubt God's commands. God gave Adam and Eve, you remember this, one command. He said, you can eat anything in the garden, but there's one tree. I don't want you to eat that fruit. And so Satan comes along and says, 
and says, did God really say that? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? You see, it's pretty clever what he said here. He's suggesting to Eve that God said that she couldn't eat any of the fruit of any of the trees. That's not what God said. But no, let's, let's just take this home with us and apply it to our own personal lives. Satan comes along and lies to us and tells us things that are not in the scripture or he adds to the scripture. He makes us doubt what the Bible says. And there's some people here today who have now come to the place in their own spiritual life where they don't really believe everything that's in the Bible. In fact, they'll say, I believe this and I believe that, but I don't believe that. That's a myth. That's not true. That doesn't apply today. That was for yesterday. That was from another time. But I want you to know, folks, that the Bible is the word of God. And Satan will do everything in his power to get you to doubt God and to doubt his word. Eve says to Satan, of course. (laughs) Oh, Satan, silly guy. Of course we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, now watch this, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Did you see what happened there? Eve quotes God, don't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. But then she adds to the scripture. She adds to the word of God. God didn't say you can't touch it. I'm going to tell you folks again. We get into trouble when we, first of all, when we start doubting the word of God, but then we start adding to it. We start editing it, and we start understanding it according to our own wisdom or knowledge. It says in Revelation that if anybody adds to the word or takes away from the word, a curse is on them. And so we see Eve, really, she's heading out in the wrong direction. And my question is, by the way, where's Adam? Adam was the one that got the original instructions. Why isn't he speaking up? The dummy is just sitting there letting his poor wife do battle with the serpent. See, Eve had no sword skills, and obviously neither did Adam. No ability to take God's word and to speak the truth and to stand on the truth and to function according to the truth. And then uh, the serpent replies to the woman, you're not going to die. There's more deception, more lies. God, verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Again, what is Satan doing? He's, he's getting Eve to doubt God's word. He's... he's suggesting that God's lying and not telling the truth. He's suggesting that God is holding back on Adam and Eve, not giving Adam and Eve the best. Adam and Eve, you can have everything in this garden, but don't touch that one tree. And Adam Adam and Eve are believing Satan, who's suggesting, see, I told you, God's not giving you the best. He's holding back. Because if you ate that fruit, well, man, you'd be just like God knowing both good and evil. And in verse 6, it says, the woman was convinced. Again, nothing, nothing about Adam. It's all the poor woman dealing with this all by herself. 
At that moment, the Bible says, when they took the fruit, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. What happened here, folks? I mean, there's no way that they could have known what kind of evil, what kind of darkness, what kind of perversion, what kind of hatred and, and, and destruction that would come to this earth because of their disobedience. And can I just say this to you today? Every time you and I disobey God, every time you and I don't do what God has called us to do, folks, we open the door to destruction in our lives. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Satan has come to rob and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The way that you and I are going to have life more abundantly, the way that you and I are going to live that rich and abundant life is by learning how to function, to live according to the word of God. And if Adam and Eve had just listened to God and done exactly what God said, which was a very simple command, don't eat the fruit from that tree, that one tree. Knock yourself out on the rest, but don't touch that one. That was the beginning of horror beyond anything that we could ever, ever imagine. Folks, this is why we read the Bible. To know the word of God. To know exactly what God says. So that we're not adding to the word and we're not taken away from the word, but know exactly what God commands, what God wants of us. Well, before I tell you why we should read the Bible, let me just quickly remind you what the Bible is. The Bible, very simply, is a collection of 66 books. Some of them are very long books, and some are very short. The shortest, shortest book in the Bible is actually um, John chapter 3. We call it a book, but it's literally just a couple of paragraphs. There's Jude, again, just one chapter. Then there's Jeremiah, which has got 52 chapters. It's massive. It's a big, big chapter. We find these 66 books are written by godly men. Men who are inspired by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God came through them by his Spirit, give them the words, and they committed it to paper or to vellum or whatever it is that they wrote on. But it's the revelation of God. It's the mind of God. How do we know what God wants of us? How do we know what God wants us to do? And how do we know what God doesn't want us to do? Well, it's all here in the word. We know exactly the mind and the purpose and the will of God. All we have to do is take this book and read it. Folks, this is how Augustine was converted. One of the great church forefathers, you may have heard of him. We're going back now 1,500 years ago. And he heard a voice in his head, in his heart, take up the book and read it. And so he picked up the word of God. He began to read it. And God, God revealed to Augustine the truth. And Augustine was converted. Absolutely amazing. So in this book, we, watch this. We see the plan of God for humanity. We see how humanity can have eternal life. You know today that eternal life is not automatic. The only way that you and I can have eternal life, the only way that you and I can go to heaven is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And we learn all about that from the scripture. Now, I want you to see something which is really cool. When you start in Genesis, 
you find that the whole uh, narrative of God's work on the earth begins in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve begin in the Garden of Eden where there is no sin, no darkness. Adam and Eve, the Bible says, walk with God. They walk with him. They know him. They talk to him because they're pure. Now, can I just remind you that nothing impure or unholy can ever be or exist in the presence of Almighty Holy God. So there's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we just read how they took the fruit and they ate it. And sin entered in. And the Bible says that they are evicted. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And, in, and, and the scripture says that God places two mighty angels with flaming swords to protect the entrance into the garden so that nobody can go back in. In other words, nobody can be in the presence of God. Nobody can enter into the presence of God if they're unholy or evil. So the question then is this, how on earth do we get back into God's presence? How can we enjoy fellowship with him? How can we walk with him the way Adam and Eve did? Well, folks, that is what this whole book is about. It begins with Adam and Eve in the garden. And it tells us then God's plan and how we are able to get back into the garden. When we talk about the garden, what are we talking about? We're talking about the presence of God, of fellowshipping with him, of walking with him, of being able to pray and to pour out our hearts and to hear him speak to us. And I'm telling you, if you've never experienced this, this is something that I recommend to everybody. You've got to come to that place where you finally surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you say, God, I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to know that I have eternal life. So we begin in the Garden of Eden, and guess what? When you get to the very end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, where do we find ourselves? We're back in the Garden of Eden. A lot of people don't know that. This Bible begins in Eden, and it ends in Eden. That's right. The Bible calls Heaven, the, new, the place that we go after we die, the new Jerusalem. And it describes the new Jerusalem. It describes heaven in the same language that we find in the Garden of Eden. That's what this book is about. And so if you want to learn how to walk with God, and if you want to know how it is that you can go and be with God forever, well, this book's going to tell you how to do that. But even more than that, this book is going to tell you how to live your life, what's evil, what's good, how to have a great marriage, how to have a great family life, how to be successful in your business, how to get rich. I know, listen, this, is, this church is not a prosperity church. We don't, in other words, we don't teach prosperity. It's not a prosperity gospel church. But I'm going to tell you that if you live according to the word of God, God will give you the wisdom to have a, uh, have a successful, happy, fulfilled life. And furthermore, this word, this Bible teaches us what we need to do in order to please God. Now understand something, folks. At the end of the day, the, the, the thing that God wants from us is what he wanted from Adam and Eve right from the start, and it's obedience. Look, we, we can get really, you know, 
You see this all the time in so many churches, so many you know, wonderful teachings and preachings and, and books and seminars and so on and so forth and how to move on to higher things in the Christian life and how to worship more and worship better and worship stronger and evangel- and it goes on and on. But if you want to know what the bottom line is for the Christian faith, it's obedience. Obey God. And that was the problem with Adam and Eve. They just simply refused to obey God. If they had obeyed God, then they would have known the blessing of God. So here's the thing. If you want to have the blessing of God in your life, then you've got to learn what it means to obey God. And this, folks, is what the scriptures is about. It's about what God expects of you and me. How can I please God? In faith, the Bible says, by faith, I believe God. And I do what he says. Obedience. I got a really cool uh, text from Jason Giesbrecht. Jason won't mind me telling you this. I just got it a couple days ago. He says, hello, Pastor Allen. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. I've been reading my Bible almost every day. And my word for next year is obedience. Bless you. Wow. I was so excited, so thrilled about that. He made my day. In fact, I think he made my week. But he understands, he understands that if he's going to know the blessing of God in his life, he's going to have to learn what it means to obey God. And by the way, it's not just Jason, it's Alan Duncalf and everybody sitting here today. We're able to obey God and we are able to do what he wants because we know the mind of God. It's called the Bible. Now, why do I need to read, read my Bible every day? Well, there's a few reasons. And there, well, actually, there's many reasons, but I want to share with you the three most important, and I'm going to do this really quickly. First of all, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Who's Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to Satan. Some of you may remember this, but Jesus was baptized in water when he came up out of the water. It says the Holy Spirit uh, compelled or drove Jesus into the wilderness and for 40 days, he fasted and he prayed. And then at the, at the 40-day mark, Satan came upon Jesus and began to tempt him. And here's what Satan says to Jesus. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus says, no. Why is this? Because Jesus does not take instructions from Satan. Satan. Even if Jesus was able to make bread out of stones, which he could do, he is not taking instruction and guidance from Satan. He takes his instruction and his guidance from God himself. And now listen to this, folks. We don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here's what I know. is There are so many Christians who are utterly and completely malnutritioned spiritually. They're one, one, one breath away from death. If you want to be robust in your Christian life, then you need, to start, you need to start feeding on this word that comes from the mouth of God. Are you malnutrition today, or are you strong and vibrant in your Christian life? I can tell you, if you're not reading your Bible, you don't even know that you're malnutritioned. Your spiritual belly is extended, and you are close to death spiritually speaking. There's another reason why you need to study the Bible. Look at, look at Timothy 
Uh, Paul says to Timothy, his young apprentice, he says, all scripture is inspired by God. Scripture, by the way, is another word for the Bible. It's another word for the word of God. There's so many names for the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. And look at this, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Did you know that the Bible is like a mirror? You hold that mirror up and you find out what's really going on. On Look it. Best way to explain this, I'm 55 years old. I never, ever had hair growing out of the end of my ear. I got hairs growing out of here. I got growing out the end of my nose. I got out of my ears. Never had that before. And I don't want to go out into public with hair growing out of the ends of my ear, my nose, and, and, and other places. So I hold up the mirror to my face. In fact, I just got myself a nice 10 times. Because my eyesight's going too. <laughs> and I find out all those stray, ugly, evil hairs, and I remove them from my life. <laughs> Listen, that's what the Bible does. The Bible shows us what's wrong in our lives. But folks, if you're never looking in the mirror called the Word of God, how will you know? And so many of us, we go around calling ourselves Christians, but we have no idea whether we're living like a Christian or not. Paul says it corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. Because by nature, we do what is wrong. And if you've got kids, you know that. Except for Tobias, he'll never do anything wrong. God uses it, the word that is, to prepare us and equip his people to do every good work. Folks, that's the power of the scripture. We're equipped to do what honors God. But look, there's one more thing I want to share with you quickly. And it's this. Jesus in the prayer, John chapter 17, he says this in his prayer for you and me. He says, God, heavenly father, make them the disciples, the followers of Christ. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Can I just tell everybody something here right now? The Bible is clear that without holiness, you can't go to heaven. If you are not holy, you cannot go to heaven. You cannot go into the presence of God. That's why Adam and Eve were kicked out of God's presence in the Garden of Eden in the first place, because they become unholy. Look, at if you're going to be a holy people, and by the word holy just simply means being set apart for God's purposes. So Alan Dunkoff, as a Christian, is holy. Because Jesus has made me holy. I put my faith in Jesus. He made me holy. Now, guess what that means? It means that my life is 100% devoted, dedicated to doing what God wants me to do. And every day, I'm asking God, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? Well, folks, again, the power of the word of God. As you study the scripture, the Bible says it makes you holy. I want us to, to know what to do now, because some of you are sitting here thinking, you know, Pastor John, I, I, I'm liking what I'm hearing. I, I want to be holy. I, I want to use the scripture to show me what's wrong in my life so I can correct it. I want to overcome Satan. Satan has been just having a heyday in my life. He, I, I mean, my heart is a playground for the devil, and I don't want that anymore. I want to be holy. I want to be godly. I want to be Christ-like. I want to do everything God wants me to do. Well, folks, here's how we're going to advance. Here's how we are going to become the people God wants us to be. 
we are going to take hold of our scripture, take hold of our Bible, and we're going to start reading it every day. This is what 2018 is about. And you're going to hear about that for the next three weeks. But we're going to start studying the scripture. And so here's what I'd like you to do, first of all. I'd like you to get yourself a good Bible, a Bible that you understand. By the way, I'm not getting any kind of commission for suggesting that you get an NLT, a New Living Translation. But I want to recommend it because it is really easy to read. And I, I have actually studied Greek uh, in Bible school, and I was in Greece for four and a half years, so I've got a handle on the Greek language. And as I compare the Greek language to, to what I'm reading here, I found that this is a really, really good translation. Now, if you're using the NIV, that's fine. You can use any translation you want. If you want to use King James, it's excellent. In fact, it, in terms of for word for word, it's probably one of the very best. But for, for ease of understanding so that you can get through the scripture, I would want to recommend that you get yourself an NLT. You can get it at, online through Amazon, and it'll be here in a few days. You can get it. Uh, uh, there's Hull's Bookstore still across from Advance. There's Costco. Uh, I think sometimes it's at Costco. Definitely get it at Chapters. But I want to recommend you get a Bible that you read. I'm going to tell you, um, one of the things I asked for when I was in grade nine was for a, a leather-bound Thompson chain reference Bible, and it was King James Version. I was so excited about having my own Bible. My name was embossed across the cover in gold, Alan Duncalf, in case I forget who I am. And uh, it was cross-referenced, and I could, I could just cross-reference different verses. It was absolutely a fantastic tool. But the thing that I struggled with with the, with the King James Version is that it was so often hard to understand, and some of you can relate to that. Well, somebody gave me a new international version, an NIV, when I was in my first year of Bible school. And I can still remember it like it was yesterday, sitting down with my NIV Bible, and it just came alive. And I, I just started to devour scripture. I would sit for hours reading my Bible because it was so full of life. And it was, it was so much to learn. And I understood it so well. And I got myself a, a ruler and a pen and a highlighter and green pen and a red pen and a blue pen. My family knows that just sounds just like me. I had all kinds of colored pens and coding. And I, I started reading that scripture. I couldn't get enough of it. Folks, I knew it was happening there. The Spirit of God was speaking to me. God was speaking to Alan Duncalf. And you know what? After all these years, God is still speaking to Alan Duncalf every single day. Every day when I open my Bible, God has got something fresh to say to me. In case you don't remember what I've, I've said this to you in the past, every time I pray, I talk to God. And every time I read my Bible, God talks to me. So this is what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to give God an opportunity to speak to you every single day. And I will talk more about that in just a moment. But before I do, I'm going to recommend this to you. Take your Bible, find out how many pages are in your Bible. In my Bible, I've got exactly 1,019 pages to read. And once I've read those 1,019 pages, I've read through my whole Bible. If I take those 1,019 pages and divide it by 365 days, anybody know why it's 365 days? It's because it's a year. Very good. It comes out to 2.8 pages per day. How many pages am I going to read? No, 2.8. <laughs> 
No, maybe I'll read three. Actually, what I'll probably do is when I go through Genesis, I just like to plow through that because I just love that book. It's so full, so exciting. Uh, but there are some books that are difficult. I'm just going to be honest about that. Going through Leviticus, but sometimes it's like going to the dentist. You know, it's important to do it, but man, you just don't look forward to it. It's a little bit tough. But I'll say this. If you know the scripture, if you become mature in the use of scripture, Leviticus is one of the most fascinating books of the Bible. So look at, don't despair, don't get uptight when you're getting through the hard parts. Understand that God's got something to say to you even there. But this is what you do. Find out how many pages you need to read, and then you begin. And uh, I'm going to tell you folks, it's going to be absolutely life-transforming. It'll change your life. The next thing I would suggest that you do is take a, a highlighter, take a ruler and a pen, and begin to mark the scripture as you're reading it. And when something jumps out at you, I always, I always say this to my kids, as you're reading the, the Bible, something will just pop out at you, it'll just grab you by the throat. And, and I've given you this as an example, and this is from Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Set out for the great city of Nineveh and announced to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah made ready and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's bidding. Let's just stop there. That little phrase there, that I will tell you. See the notation in there? Full instructions of God's plan, not given. That's one of those things that jumped out to me. And maybe it would jump out to you, but maybe there's something else that will jump out to you. But you make the notation. Now, why is that important? Well, I'll tell you why. Because so often in life, as we're going through life, the thing that God wants us to do, it's, it's not fully or clearly revealed. Only part of the plan is revealed. For Jonah, he knew that he needed to go to Nineveh, and that's all that God was going to tell him. And folks, that's often the way it is with God and his dealings with us. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us what's coming. He only gives us part of the equation, but he expects obedience. And you know the story of Jonah. He didn't obey God. God had to really twist his arm. He ended up in the belly of a fish before he got to Nineveh. So folks, I've shared with you it's a simple way to go through the Bible so that you can get, get through the scripture, three pages a day for me. I don't know how many will be for you. Making notations so that God can speak to me. Do you know that from 1960 to the year 2000, glo the global growth of the numbers of reported evangelicals grew three times the world's population rate and twice that of Islam. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. They say that the largest growing religious group in the world today is Islam. But what they don't tell you is that growing even faster than Islam is a group of Christians called evangelicals. By the way, we are evangelicals. And here's what we know about evangelicals. Evangelicals are committed to Scripture. We're called people of the book. In fact, Muslims call us the people of the book. Isn't that interesting? We're growing as a church and growing as Christians as long as we are feeding on the Word of God. But the day that you stop feeding on the Word of God, the day that you stop reading and studying that and underlining and making notations, is the day you stop to grow. God wants you to grow. He wants to feed you with his word every day. I'm just quickly share this with you. In the Jewish tradition, the love and the reverence for Jewish books, uh, particularly the Jewish law, the word of God, 
uh, they've got a number of laws. And I, I want to just share a few with them because it's really quite interesting how they revere Scripture, how important it is to them. Number one, it's not permissible for a sacred Jewish text to lie on the ground. And if by accident a book is dropped to the floor, it should be picked up and given a kiss. Isn't that interesting? That's how they revere scripture. How many of us are using a Bible to prop up a, a, a shaky table? In the Jewish, Jewish tradition, man, you would never do that. Is it sacred? It's holy. These are the words of God. A Jewish book Christian book, a Bible, is not to be left open unless it's being read, and nor is it to be held upside down. You never hold a scripture like that, ever, because it's sacred and needs to be revered. It's the word of God. It's not permitted to place a book of lesser sanctity on top of a book of higher holiness. For in other words, you would never put a Harlequin romance on top of a Bible. That would just be a big no-no because Scripture comes first. This is how the Jewish people revere the Word of God. If someone says to someone, please hand me this book, you would never hand the Bible to somebody with a left hand, always with the right. And more than that, If you are walking with somebody who's holding a Bible and you're about to go through a doorway, you always let the person holding the Bible go first. Now, this is pretty amazing stuff. Talk about revering Scripture and understanding how important it is. But can I just say this to you right now? More important than whether or not who gets to go through the doorway first and whether or not you should leave the Bible open or keep it closed, more important than that, is what James tells us. Here's what James says. Don't just listen to God's word. You must... Say it again. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. How many Christians today are fooling themselves? You think you're serving God. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a follower of Christ. But you have no idea what the Word of God says, and you're certainly not doing what the Word of God says. For 2018, as your pastor, I'm saying it's time for us to get serious about diving into Scripture and to start doing what it says. After all, what's the point of just going to church on Sunday? What's the point of just reading and learning and adding to our knowledge if we're not doing anything with it? There's too many people who are religious. We don't need any more religious people. We need people who are obedient to Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you've shown us exactly what we need to know. You've told us exactly what we need to do. And God, we're asking now for for two things. We're asking for the grace to read through the scripture in 2018. And secondly, we're asking for the grace and the strength to actually do what your word tells us to do. Father, some of us here today know that we've drifted so far away. We're, We're so far from your heart, God. We're so far from doing what you want us to do. Right now, God, we're praying in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would just descend upon your people. And that we would be strengthened and empowered, God, to become lovers and readers 
of the word of God, that we would feed on the word of God because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So we're praying, God, for grace to be obedient to you. And the only way we can be obedient is if we're listening to your words and listening to your instructions. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So Jesus, we're declaring today that we love you. And we're asking now for the strength to prove it. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we face 2018, give us grace, give us strength to honor you and to please you. We pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go read your Bible.